Welcome to the Grit and Grace space. Come along as we explore experiences, cultivate community, and grow our appetite for adventure. Here we go. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Grit and Grace space and Happy New Year. I have the delight of sharing the microphone today with J.P. Crawford. As you may know, the winter solstice is December 21st, the darkest night of the year, and we had the opportunity to record this episode on December 22nd, which symbolizes the return of the light, and I feel like that is incredibly fitting for who J.P. is, the care and love and service he gives to his community here in Columbus. My only wish, the only thing that would make this episode even better is if my podcast was a little more popular so that the whole world could hear JP. He is such an incredible person and it's been such a blessing to meet him, build our friendship over the years, and get to learn from him and see him on a weekly basis. So with that, I will turn it over. Enjoy the show. Thank you for joining me today. You're welcome. We tried to do this in October twice and then didn't quite work out. So I'm glad we got to do it this year. We did it before the end of the year. That yes. was the goal, so... For the audience here, this is J.P. Crawford, who is a dear friend, Thank you. owner of a gym, and mo- other things that we'll talk about. I see you, J.P., as somebody who is extremely caring and curious and risk-averse, maybe, but also yeah. very brave. Thank you. Like, relentlessly interested in learning and continuous improvement in self and others and we'll get into this a little bit later but I see your love language as acts of service and I would say that's correct yeah okay and so that's a a little peek into how I see you but I would like you to describe yourself oh also like incredibly disciplined I wanted to start with that because it's just like your steadiness and like stability and discipline is just like unbelievable oh thank you um it my discipline helps me a lot it's you know there there's so many days where you don't want to do the the hard things but if it's instead of wanting if it's just part of your routine then it no longer becomes I want to do this or I don't want to do this. It's, well, it's your day. It's what you do. Mm-hmm. Thank you for having me. Thank mm-hmm. you. You're disciplined. Before, you're, you've had so many promotions and you're, you're working a different schedule. But many times, you know, you would walk through the door at 4.50, 5, 10 a.m. And you're the first person I saw every morning. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you for that. And your nails look great. What is Thank that color? Thank you. I, it's number like 79 or something like that. Green sparkles for Very Christmas. Cool. Thank Very you. Very cool. <laughs> okay, so how would you describe yourself? Definitely, I mean, to me, I have a dream job. I get to work with some amazing clients, and they, they completely enrich my life. Many of them are very dear friends. 
some of them so a client of mine came in yesterday who's had some kidney problems and he's coming back but he's been a client for 26 years so you know many of these people I've watched their children grow up and now their grandchildren grow up and the client that came in yesterday you know has great great grandchildren now so it's 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 pretty cool that I would say the special thing about my job is I don't do a lot of group training the majority of it's one-on-one so in you know in training them we get down to a lot of very nitty-gritty details about their lives and their past and their habits and when you see people make big changes that's that's very fulfilling Mm -hmm. so yeah and you've gotten to see a lot of that and probably several times over as people go through different phases of life yeah we've had just within the past hour I worked with somebody she's a Parkinson's patient cancer survivor and she's a little bit I mean she's maybe 411 you know 80 pounds soaking wet and when she came in she was kind of shuffling around and now she can jump off the floor wow. you know so it's it's things like that where seeing those big changes and really you know when people turn their lives around their self-confidence changes completely mm-hmm. and they just they smile more yeah. so and it's one of those things where you you can want so bad for them to do the hard thing or change their perspective but like you can't want somebody to run faster they no. have to want to run faster exactly and so it's like delayed gratification in a sense but it's also like a more tremendous gratification because you realize like they've done it themselves sort of yeah i mean of course with no, you know, no, they, but they've done it. I mean, many, you know, the majority of my clientele are age 45 to 70. Okay. And a lot of that is just the socioeconomic level that I deal with. And many of them, they're finally at a point in their lives where they can focus more on themselves. Mm. But so many of them have been dealing with either being overweight or just not a real zest for life for. 30 years so and maybe they've started diets by the time I get them 50 times mm-hmm. you know so yeah you know, you're it's again it's very fulfilling yeah so how you were born and raised in Columbus I was born in Atlanta and then from Atlanta to Virginia Beach and Virginia Beach for a while and then Atlanta and then military family so traveled a bit but yes, Columbus for the majority of my life. So brought up primarily my grandmother and my grandfather. So my grandfather was a retired colonel, and that's how we ended up in Fort Benning. And then my dad was one of the founders of a company called Genentech. They created a human growth hormone. So kind of grew up in the medical field, and that's why a lot of what I do and my undergrad, one of my undergrads is in pre-med, but I was always around medicine growing up, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, it, smart people. I think it's really important to surround myself with people like you who are, you know, extremely intelligent. So thank you. So how come you stayed in Columbus? It seems like with like all of you know where like Berkeley, for example, where sure. like all of this like a hub for learning or research or whatever. Like what brings you? to stay in Columbus. Yeah, so 
growing up, my dad, because Genentech's one of the classic, you know, San Francisco genetic companies. So he was in California a lot. Columbus was always home primarily because of my grandfather, but when, so one of my, my undergrads is in pre-med and it was from CSU. When I was at CSU, I started personal training. And when I first started, they were only, including myself, only two personal trainers in the city of Columbus. So I've been doing it for, in September, it'll be 28 years. So as I was going through, at that time, the only people that had trainers were what you would call now, like our equivalent of Hollywood billionaires. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody had a personal trainer. It was seen as silly. And as I started to complete my degree, I was going to Emory for orthopedic surgery. And the clients that I was working with, some of them were physicians. And they said, look, medicine's changing, the reimbursement's changing, things are going to be really different. They said, is orthopedic surgery the only thing that you can do that you will truly love? And I thought about it, and I said, well, I really like what I'm doing now, you know? Mm-hmm. And they said, well, you can always go and do that. Why don't you do this for one more year? And I had some, and still do, some very interesting, very motivating clients and was making good money, mm-hmm. you know? And I said, well, I'll do this. And basically, I said, well, my goal will be every year I will try to double my income. Mm-hmm. And that was occurring. And I did that from, what would it be, I guess, 95 to 03. And then in 03, I said, well, and we had an office at the Swiss Hotel in Atlanta. So I had clients in Atlanta and an office here. And I was back and forth. And I said, but the only way I'll be able to continue to grow my income is if I open up my own gym. Mm-hmm. So, and then once I did that, I was locked to Columbus. You can't leave. Right. You know, so yeah. that that's why. Okay. Yeah, and that's that's why I was thinking about this, like how you took the chance to be an entrepreneur, to do, you know, to have your own gym, your own clients, and in contrast to like an orthopedic surgeon or something in the medical field, which is a little bit more structured, I would say. But I see you, like that's why I think you're so brave because... Oh, thank you. Like, even economically, there's been so many waves that you've had to overcome. Like, a lot of entrepreneurs... Yeah, COVID was not fun. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I want to talk maybe a tiny bit about that. Because you said some things along the way that I just didn't even consider that how my life as, like, a corporate employee and your life as an entrepreneur, like, impacted totally differently. Yeah. So, okay. So, that's, that's really helpful. So, I guess going into a little bit more we'll come back to diverge i want to hear from you where the name comes from sure sure but i want to talk a little bit first about the other businesses and ventures you have outside of diverge yeah so we had a residential real estate company for years we wrapped that up a few years ago and what we did is we bought large homes so normally a six bedroom four bath or larger and we treated each room as basically a dorm room Mm. so instead of renting the house out to one individual, we rented the house out to six individuals. And we did that for a few years here in Columbus, and then CSU made a mandate where all freshmen had to live on campus for the first year. So we started wrapping things up then. Mm-hmm. But a lot of great memories from that. College kids are crazy. You know, they'll do things that you wouldn't think any logical person would do. 
So we had that, and then commercial real estate. This is now our only property that we're in right now. But basically, you know, take a building, get it from the ground up, and try to buy a property where you're not putting lipstick on a pig, mm -hmm. but maybe you know, it's always location, location, location. So focusing on the busiest intersections in the city, which now that's where we are, and trying to be a few years before it's the busiest intersection, so you are paying prime mm -hmm. dollar for that. So now it's the commercial real estate, investments as well. So investments are primarily equities, some venture capital, but very little, and completely out of any residential real estate or what's called mezzanine uh, real estate now. So just focused on the equity markets, not in any cryptocurrencies at the time. And yeah. So is that personal or family or both clients? Both. What you would call family office. Mm. And yeah. So that clients, I learn a lot from clients. We have fun. You know, it's always more fun when you get to kind of share in the good ideas. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we've, we've been very lucky through the years. Uh, got in on Tesla within a month of the IPO. And um, Apple, you know, when Apple fell down to, I think it was, what was it, 60 per share before all the splits. And just some great companies, you know, uh, Shopify was another, mm. and been burned by a few as well. But with that, I really enjoy the earnings and the conference calls and seeing the trajectory of the company. You know, now we're seeing with a lot of companies, public and private, but because of COVID and the modernization and the automation of things, we're seeing that many companies are saying, well, we've got 50,000 employees, but we really only need 38,000, you know, so we've got dead weight, let's lay off 12,000 and let's see if we can make an even better product with that. So just seeing that, you know, we've had no front desk staff here since February of 2020. I thought it was before that. We, we scaled down. Yeah, yeah, we started scaling more and more. You're right, yeah. Yeah, with COVID years, everything yeah. is, is muddled. But no, I really enjoy that. I greatly enjoy technology companies. Raytheon, you know, Lockheed Martin, the Skunk Works division of Lockheed Martin, mm. all of those are just fascinating to me. Again, smart people. So. Right. How, yeah, I've started to dabble in the history of, of Lockheed Martin and how they're in, in, intermingled with the, the government. And I listened to the Joe Rogan podcast where he interviewed a former government official that had all of these clearances and was into like the alien findings extraterrestrial findings and how Lockheed Martin played a role in that um, yeah and so it's it's interesting so with your medical interest and you know physical sure. wellness side of your life or does that play into the investments as as well yeah okay. so um Dexcom which um they make a continuous glucose monitor and CEOs. Jeff's very heavily involved in the company because he had a child that was a diabetic and still has a child that's diabetic. But that Genentech cell gene, which makes uh, Revlimid, and my dad eventually left from Genentech to went on and be the 
one of the starters of Celgene. Mm. So there was there was that. So yeah, definitely the, the medical side. I work with a few local medical people that one of them who you see here in the morning sometimes help discover the human genome. So we we talk about investments and kind of where we see things going mm. with that. Jennifer Doudna with CRISPR is, oh, yeah. you know, fascinating in the work she's doing. Mm-hmm. So yeah so i guess coming back to diverge what Mm -hmm. where does that name come from so two things robert frost two paths and taking the paths less traveled and then charles darwin evolution of the species Mm -hmm. and you know the path diverging there as well so of the the species when we were naming the company I didn't want it to be something cheesy, you know, like try not to use any local names to not be disrespectful of those, but, you know, gym guys or the body shop or something of that nature. So originally we were the Degas Institute, which is aged reversed. If you take the letters of age and reverse them, it spells Degas. And we never opened with that name. And then we were diverging for years and then we changed it to Diverge Fitness and with the help of, you've probably heard of Spanx and yes. and Richard Branson yeah. with, so those two were basically at dinner with a family member of mine. I called the family member and I said, "Look, I'm looking at rebranding the company and changing the logo and kind of changing," and they sat down during dinner and sketched out the V and the Diverge logo comes from Richard Branson with the big. He said, "Gotta have a big V," you know, so. So that's from that, and the green, I think one of the people there was the CEO of Hyatt Hotels, which their their thing was green, so that's where the green comes from. And at the time, green was just starting to be associated with wellness, mm-hmm. you know, the whole organic movement, that type thing, so we that's what we did. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's classic also, because oh, thank it's, you. I mean, I've known the, the brand for eight years, but... I guess from a fashion standpoint, it just seems like consistently modern where even like font changes you see with Target or Planet Fitness or whatever, just rebranding happening over the years, you don't need to do that. It's consistently plastic. Our font, I'm glad you noticed it. So our font, it's a good thing and a bad thing. So remember they were at dinner, they sketched it out basically on a napkin and then took a picture of the napkin and sent it to me. I went to an artist. So the font, which is good and bad, it's a drawn font. Mm-hmm. So unlike anything that you would choose on a computer program, so anytime we have any t-shirts done, anything of that nature, it has to be drawn. You can't just type it in. So it's a good and bad. But right. I'm glad you, you like the font. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, that, that must be hard to scale up. Yes, exactly. Large, yeah, without getting warped. So you talked a little bit about like how and why you chose the path that you did. What keeps you motivated over over 20 years now going from where you were to owning your own facilities? Oh, yeah. So working, I would say the chief motivating force is working with clients where you get to see their entire life change. Seeing people where they're they appear downtrodden, they really don't have a positive positive body image of themselves. And many of them, when they first start, they won't even look at the mirror when they're working out. Mm. They, I'll have to train them with them facing away from the mirror because they don't want to see themselves 
And that's actually really common. I'd say that's 75% of the people. And then if they have some health ailments like a bad back, bad knees, when they can move like a normal human and when they are more comfortable wearing something a little more form-fitting, when they can pick up their grandkids and they couldn't before, that's that's priceless. So. Even seeing the older folks, the older clients that you have, the movements that they do, like Turkish get-ups yeah. or you know, going from being totally flat on the ground to standing up, like uh, so, mi- so many, I guess, like downturns in health come from falls and yeah. not being able to get yourself up or move, you know, have that mobility. How has your approach to physical well-being changed as you've gotten older, as, as you've learned more? Hopefully I'll continue to learn. That's, that's the goal. So in the beginning, the concept of program design and laying out a two-year plan for someone with, of course, you make the plan in order to be able to adjust the plan, you know, in order to be able to course correct. But I would say the biggest changes have been before I would say, okay, we're going to get this person in, and right now they're 27% body fat, and we're going to try to get them to 12% body fat, to where now the goal is, okay, listen to them. What's their goal? Because if I make an assumption of their goal, and that's why many times, instead of saying to them, as I would have years ago, so, you know, we'll call the person Bob Smith. You know, Bob, you're right now you're at 220. You know, per your measurements, you'd feel so much better. You'd live much longer if you were 180. Well... Bob may have never envisioned himself being 180. So even if I bring it up, and even while that's a wonderful goal, it's completely unrealistic. And not only is it unrealistic, it's not what he wants. Mm. So it's like me trying to sell you a peanut butter and jelly sandwich when you want a banana sandwich. Yeah, I really want you, and you're like, well, I have no desire for a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. So now listening to them and say, what would success look like for you? So, you know, and you get completely different answers. You know, you get answers like, you know, years ago I had a Porsche and I had to sell it because it was so uncomfortable for me to get in and out of the Porsche. 48, I'd really like by the time I'm 50 to be able to get in and out of a Porsche again. And you go, okay. Well, that, and then once you have that goal, you can reverse engineer it and say, okay, well, sounds like the vehicle was a little low for you. Was it your knees, which is your back? Or was it my knees, and I just, I didn't have the strength to get in and out of it? Okay, well, let's do some tests. Let's figure out, tell you what, was it a Porsche Boxster? Was it a 911? It was a 911. Okay, Bob, what we're going to do, let's look up the seat height of a 911. That's going to be your goal for a squat. Whatever the seat height is for a 911, I'm going to set a chair down. And when we do squats, from now on, every time we do them, that's where your butt's going to hit. And when you can do that easily, repeatedly, then you can get a 911 in that their face, it will light up. And then you have a workable goal for both of you. You know, it would be like with your job if they said, Chinzi, you know, we want 
this many parts with this degree of error rate on the part and you said well that's great but why and they said well if it's that degree of error rate then we lose this this is as opposed to them coming to you and saying Chinzi, you know the most important thing to us is to build the safest aircraft engine possible we do that by this well then you can work backwards so and i think so many people do that especially trainers or people with their kids of you know mom needs to lose 20 pounds well why mom doesn't have a why to lose 20 pounds you know it in in this country especially we're very obsessed with the size of clothing mm-hmm. i know of no one that takes a picture and posts it without having a filter mm-hmm. you know you got it yes and and you can and i have friend, i didn't know that until a few years ago you know i'm very naive to the whole social media thing i've i've made a conscious choice to kind of stay out of it and I would have friends you know New York California and I would say you look amazing you know I just what are you doing and they would say oh no I just use such and such filter you know it's and so we're all very conscious of that as opposed to trying to create a why and taking a few steps back I would say the biggest difference in my conversations with people today compared to 28 years ago, I'll probably ask three questions in succession mm-hmm. with the final goal of what my initial intent was. So, and then normally after that third question, I'm just starting to get into it. Okay. So. Yeah, so more intentionality and active listening and not what you want, but what they want, because ultimately their their why, like you said, is going to bring you success. Right. Yes. I mean, you you can work as hard as you want at your why. If it's not their why, good luck. Right. You know, you're beating your head against the wall. Mm-hmm. And so. like having that light bulb go off to understand that switch, if I take that back into the people that I interact with at work on a daily basis, you know, that's seems so overwhelming to me I think and I think if I were to ask folks like what what is your why you know I don't know if they would be and able most to of tell don't you know. Right? no you know I was having a conversation with a client this morning and I told him I said thank you I said you really I said I've got a podcast later and you've you've helped me for one of the topics and so many people wake up in the morning with the best intention and go to sleep at night with the largest amount of guilt they've had the whole day. Because, you know, I'm going to do this today, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to knock it out of the park. I'm going to work out hard, do sauna, do cold plunge, write out what I'm going to eat every meal of the day, you know, reach out to the people I haven't talked to in a while. And they get home, or as many people work from home, the end of the day comes around. Maybe they worked out, maybe they didn't probably didn't eat perfectly had some chocolate cupcakes in the afternoon once you have the cupcakes you got to open a bottle of wine and you can't leave a bottle of wine you know with one glass in it so you have that additional glass and they go to sleep and they feel horrible about themselves so in speaking with him I said you know I really I want you to think about instead of you know you ate some chocolate chip cookies and you know you said you would never eat chocolate chip cookies again. Well, what was the behavior that led to the behavior that led to you eating the chocolate chip cookies? 
and then you can kind of take a step back and go, well, the night before I stay up late because I was working on such and such or I was worried about such and such, so I'm tired today. And when we're tired, we physiologically, we crave higher carb foods, more satiating foods. And then the day went through and I didn't finish my goals. So I felt defeated and I just wanted to feel comforted. And that's why I ate the cookie. Okay, so let's go all the way back to what, what's the root? What's the root of all of that? Well, I was worried yesterday, so I stayed up late. Okay, well, let's just call it that. Mm-hmm. You know, calling a spade a spade. Mm-hmm. You're not a bad person. You stayed up late. You stayed up late. You were tired. You had some chocolate chip cookies. You had wine. You stayed up late again. So what should we expect today? Mm-hmm. Is it likely that you're probably going to eat chocolate chip cookies and wine again? Yeah, because that we already know this behavior pattern, you mm-hmm. know? So let's not try to fight it. Let's do this. This afternoon, do you have an hour break? Yeah. Let's take a 20-minute nap during that hour. And then tonight, go to bed a little earlier. And when you get home, you know that area where the wine bottle is and you walk over to it when you feel stressed and you get relaxed? Yeah, yeah. Take the wine, put it in a cardboard box, tape it up, put it in the closet. And say, as you're doing it, I'm doing this for myself because yesterday was a rough day, today may have been a rough day, but tomorrow I'm doing these things to help myself for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And I think just, I think we're so hard on ourselves. Yes. Of, and we, especially the high achieving people that I have, they beat themselves up more than the most. I mean, when you, when you ask people things like, well, what would you say to yourself? I would never talk to someone that way. Yes. And they would never talk to someone that way. But that's what they're telling themselves, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think in moments of weakness with food or with staying up late to watch that, to binge that extra episode, sleeping in, we're so hard on ourselves. And if you can just give people a hug, make people realize, you know, you're doing better than you think think you are you just need to choose some different behavior patterns when you're in the right frame of mind hopefully that helps yes <laughs> and then that is jarring for me because I'm like totally resonating with all of Please. the things that you're describing when like negative self-talk is something that I've been more conscious of over the last few years and started to really like work on and it's so jarring to come in and see you and I'll tell you about something or you'll like give me a compliment I'm like who you don't know me like why are you being so nice to me like what and but the thing is you do know me and you know all of us and you know I told you the other day you see us at our worst and you see us at our very best and that's so true because it was I don't know, maybe a month or two. Yeah, November. I walked in after work crying, and you're like, are you okay? I'm like, no. And then just was like, you're like, did you have a bad day or something? I was like, yeah. And then I just went and ran, ran and cried it out on the treadmill. But then, you know, you see us 
a month later and I'm like, I got a promotion yeah. today. And you're, you know, and like you do. I was so excited for you because you worked so hard for I it. I did. I bet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And so you do it. And not that, you know, life revolves around work for me. And that's something that maybe a well, little bit too much, but you see our highs and lows or you, you watched you know, me get engaged and get married and get disco. Yes. And get disco. And so when you talk about like the seeing your clients transform years over, over years, I've been like blessed enough to have just like a peek into, you know, what that relationship must be like. Oh, it's it's special. I mean, it's, it's like having, if you can imagine having the best aunts and uncles you can imagine with, rolled in with the best children you can imagine and getting to see them fall on hard times, grow and flourish. You know, I would say it's okay to cry, but you better PR tomorrow. Mm -hmm. You know, cry today, but you PR tomorrow. Right. And that, and I've seen people do that, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. How do you personally, it seems like you're able to, you are a high, high achiever and discipline and, you know, continuous improvement, continuous learning. How do you navigate self-talk? So a lot of, I journal every day, which I know is, you know, the, not the trendy thing to do, but we all hear it and very few of us do it. And I try, even if it's just five minutes, I basically, I write to know what I'm thinking because if not, it gets noisy in there, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I do that. I have an amazing wife, amazing daughter, and they they keep me humble while at the same time, they're my biggest cheerleaders. They really, I would not have achieved half of what I've achieved without my wife. Mm. So, so that's probably a lot of it. You know, she's one of those where if I start having negative self-talk, she very quickly, no kid gloves, but will say, you know, how's that helping you? And you go, well, you know, I just feel this way. Yeah. Is that helping you? It's like, no, but I, yeah. But how is it help? Well, it's not. Okay, well, you need to turn it around, don't you? And I remember years ago, we were in New York, and the stock market had just fallen apart. And, you know, we were walking through uh, the Met, and I was down, and she was like, turn it around. Turn it around now. You know, and the market, you know, turned around completely and everything was fine. But I think you have to surround yourself with people like that. I I am very cognizant of, and I do it every year, and it's from Tim Ferriss, but end of the year I make a list of the people that I've spent time with that when I'm around them, I had more energy and they made me happier and vice versa. And I make it a goal to spend more time with the people that make me happier, give me more energy, and less time with the people that don't. Um, that That's probably my biggest thing. I think your environment is so key in everything you do. And, um, you know, it, I think you know, I think it was my wife's dad, who was a great guy as well, and self-made, said something to the effect of, you know, you lie with dogs, you wake up with fleas, you know? Mm. So I, I really try to limit myself from being around those That's people. That's really hard 
to it is. set up boundaries and a recovering people pleaser. But yes. it's really hard when you know somebody is toxic, but you feel like this guilt to not change the status quo or to continue to have oh, them yeah. in your lives and like not put up a barrier. That That's really like a tumultuous decision to make. But once you've made it, you know, it's it's you get back tenfold then. Oh, yeah. That. Yeah. You know, I, years ago, and it was just one of those epiphany moments where I was with someone and I said, no, I really, I want to help you, but I need you to help me. Tell me how you want to help yourself. I said, I don't want to help myself. And I was like, oh, I've been pouring tons of time and energy into this person and they have no desire to get in. What am I doing? You know, and I've been beating myself up saying you know well why if I could just do this they would be happier and if I could just do this they would be better they don't want to be happier better stop yeah choose a different project you know it's (laughs) so how do you find harmony I won't use the word balance because that's assuming there aren't highs and lows but how do you find harmony with like your routine and growing the business and spending time with your family, like what does that look like now? So my my wedding ring, which I never I never wear, but my wife and I chose it years ago. And it looks basically if you can think of like pastel where you have one of the little pastel things going up and then the next one going down. And when I look at it, I try to remind myself, you know, there are gonna be times where you're up here. And you're times when you're down here, you just have to try to catch that wave, you know, and, you know, stay on the wave until it's not fun anymore. And hopefully you have the, the wisdom to be able to hop off the wave before it crashes and knowing at times if you're still on it when it crashes, taking a step back and going, okay, what did I learn from that? Try to ask myself on a lot of work-life balance things of would I still do it even if it fails and if the answer is yes yeah let's let's do that yeah yeah so so I guess bouncing off of that like you talked about a low being COVID yeah so COVID my biggest thing during COVID and with my medical background and some of the very high profile medical people that I work with I tried to stay extremely informed you know, none of us really knew what we were dealing with in the beginning. And having so many clients in their 60s, 70s, 80s that had comorbidities, whether it be diabetes, whether it be, you know, coronary heart disease, coronary heart failure, you know, and some of them overweight on top of that. I mean, that's really, you're, you're dealing with people that were very high risk. So during COVID, we, I knew that if the people didn't get in here and work out, that their quality of life would really fall apart. So in Columbus, we had, unlike the rest of the nation, here we received a notice on Friday at 3 o'clock p.m. that we would need to lock the doors at midnight that day. So we kind of scrambled and... I said, well, I called my best friend who's extremely intelligent and he was at dinner and I said, hey, I need you to really think outside the box and figure out a loophole. 
So since my background was pre-med and we're a medical-grade facility, we figured out that if I could create a basically a script saying that these people, it was medically necessary that they exercised, we could still allow those people in. So what I did is contacted several people's physicians and said, hey, will you back me up on this? Yeah, I'd be happy to write a script for that. So then I could still keep a fair amount of the clientele, not all of them, but the ones that really needed to be here, they could keep coming in. And other than that, we just did a lot of cleaning and a lot of reading and yeah. tried to stay on the phone with clients. We, You probably remember when you first came back, half the equipment was gone. Because I, I kind, took some of the yeah, equipment. you took. So I contacted the people, knowing that they wouldn't be able to work out, and I said, "Look, come get, come get weights, and come get things. I want you to be able to keep working out." So it's kind of like a yard sale, you know. It's the two and a half pound dumbbells have not returned. That's no, and we still know who has them. <laughs> she may not know she still has them, but oh, we no. know who has them. <laughs> but yeah, it was the biggest thing to me with COVID was how do we keep people safe. How do we get out of this financially? And how do we lose the minimum amount of lives lost possible mm-hmm. in not knowing what we were dealing with? Right. You know, I mean, you remember the video footage from the very beginning out of China. They were scrubbing down people's cars with, like, the outside of their cars with bleach. Nobody knew what was going on. Right. You know? Yeah. And you know more, you do more. So. Right. So how did, how did that impact... So... We had a period of time where we were closed all together. Yes. And is that when clients called up and said, you know, I need to stop my membership? So it was pretty remarkable. I reached out to a lot of people and, you know, we have various socioeconomic levels, but we're definitely at the upper end. Mm -hmm. And a few of the clients said, what do you need to stay open? And I said, well... I, I don't know. And they said, just whatever you need to stay open, just call me and I'll take care of it. And that was, we we didn't have one member throughout all of COVID where they said, stop my membership. Mm-hmm. And that to me was, that was fantastic. Mm-hmm. That, that really meant a lot. So. Yeah. Yes. And that's, you know, pays tribute. I, I said a few weeks back that you've created like such a like a safe space family community here and that speaks to the community that you've built that you know we all support you in this place and I I tell everybody I mean like I would eat my lunch off the floor here it is so incredibly clean and it's just it's different and special and it's a family when you got married that was like you put it on the billboard (laughs) and then when Rachel had her baby oh yeah. yeah yeah I mean it's and that's, you know, to me, that's what makes us different. If I want to know everybody's name, I want to know their dog's names, you know. And that that's that's what caring is, mm-hmm. you know. you got to ask people questions. Right, you know? right. So how do you receive love? My guess would be words of affirmation, but... Word, really just a look. Okay. As strange as that sounds, you know, oftentimes I'll catch somebody, you know, from across the gym and they'll just smile and look at you and look you deep in the eyes and 
that's love. Mm-hmm. That's that's all it takes. Yeah. You know, of that, like the way your dog looks at you. Like, I get you. Mm-hmm. You know, I understand. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's it. Just look. It yeah. doesn't, doesn't take a lot of words. At the same time, you know, a look can turn the other way as well. It yeah. can be like, oh, that's the way you feel, you know? Right. So, right. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, that's it. How has your daughter's almost six, just turned she six? just turned seven. Seven. Time is flying by. How has your life changed since having a daughter? Oh, amazing. You know, we waited till we were much older. Um, we decided we would do everything fun you can possibly do in the world and then have kids. And the only thing about that is um, be prepared to be tired because you're older. Be prepared that throughout your wife's entire pregnancy, the physicians refer to it as a geriatric pregnancy, and that they just need to change. That's not good for anybody, you know? But it's amazing. It, the things that she says, you know, I think she was maybe two and a half, three, and we were out for a walk, and it was a, a fall day, so you could hear the wind blowing through the trees, and we were talking about, she was big into uh, Spanish and Portuguese, learning those, a little bit of Mandarin, and we were talking about languages, and she said, you know, the trees speak, she said, they have a language. Really? She said, yeah, but nobody listens. I remember you telling me that story. Yeah. I was blown away. Yeah. Some of the things that you've told me she says is just, she oh, has... Oh, within the past... otherworldly. Yeah, within the past few months, there was something, a calendar date was falling on a certain day, and I said, oh, that just, that doesn't seem right. I said, because I remember two years ago it fell on this date, and she said, no, that's right, because that means that next year should be a leap year because of the shift in the calendars. And I went, you're probably right. Yeah. And she was, you she know. <laughs> How many languages does she know now? A bit of Spanish, Portuguese, which is basically useless unless you like Moana. <laughs> and it's a pretty language, but... And a touch of Mandarin and German because we had a German employee that worked uh, with a, worked for a Shalik who so mm-hmm. we were we were doing something then. Yeah. How fun. That's incredible. And she's I'm I imagine like well beyond where she should be developmentally. Yeah, yeah. She's she's mathematically, you know, like all American kids, math isn't their favorite subject. But from a language standpoint and from a the biggest thing I want her to do is just stay curious. Mm-hmm. You know, stay curious, and if she can have a love of learning, if I do that, she's homeschooled. So, you mm-hmm. know, and anybody that ever gives me flack on it, my wife has a doctorate in technology and curriculum. I just say, find a better teacher for. Her. Yeah. You find a better teacher, and we'll, and well. Yeah, <laughs> like it, it shuts up real quick. <laughs> what are some lessons learned that you would? want to share with like an aspiring entrepreneur or somebody who doesn't wants to take a different path surround yourself with people that want to see you succeed number one thing so anybody and now there's blind faith and then there's good advice you know you don't need somebody that's going to tell you oh yeah you can take over the world and you can do this you need somebody to tell you you know well why don't you work on your plan But while you're working on your plan, go ahead and get started, Mm -hmm. you know, and course correct. Everybody wants the perfect plan, you know. 
just start. You'll figure it out. Start. Have good intentions. Be honest. And make it okay for your long-term plan to be an evolution of your short-term plan. I like that. You do those two things, mm. you get by. What are you looking forward to most in the next five years? Oh, seeing my daughter grow up. Yeah. That That was an easy one. That's yeah, what I thought you yeah, might say. Yeah, that's, yeah, definitely that. Yeah. And what is, okay, so the last question that I ask everybody, if money was no object, what would your perfect day look like? Today. Okay. Yeah. That's, I also thought you might say that. Yeah, that's <laughs> being older and wiser, definitely. Chase money, it's fun. And again, going back to the highs and the lows, there are days where they're going to be highs, but if you do it instead, if you start your day, for me, I'm, I'm, no, this is not for everyone. Not how many people can I help today, but can I change one person's life for the better long-term today? Mm. And if I do that, is that a successful day? Yeah. Yeah. You get to have a lot of those days, I think. I do. Yeah. I have, it's a pretty great life. Yeah. So. That's wonderful. Thank, thank you so you. much oh, for your time. Oh, thank you for your time. This you, is awesome. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you.